For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel and Republican political consultant Neva Hill. Governor Kevin Stitt wastes no time issuing four new executive orders. The orders deal with rearranging his cabinet, lobbying by state agencies, a hiring freeze on classified employees, and selling the state airplane, which he says isn't a good use of taxpayer money. Ryan, what do you think of these first or official orders from the new state chief? Well, the governor's off to, you know, a, a busy start. I mean, let's, you know, kind of unpack them. The, the rule targeting uh, lobbyists from state agencies, I think that that's a, a great move. Uh, I think a lot of Oklahomans would be surprised to know that that was even happening, that state agencies were using their tax dollars to subsidize a lobbying effort before the legislature. That most Oklahomans, we, whenever I've talked to Oklahomans about state agencies doing that in the past, they were incredibly surprised surprised that their tax dollars were going that way. I think that this is a good first step. I think the governor should uh, perhaps go a little bit further and begin talking about disclosure requirements for legislative liaisons within state agencies so that the voters and the people have a sense of, you know, the state agencies, when they're meeting with legislators, what are they talking about? The, the hiring uh, freeze uh, on unclassified and classified state employees, you know, those are two different types of employees within mm-hmm. the state, right. unclassified having... Uh, fewer protections. I think that Democrats and Republicans have looked at this as a possible solution for some of our hiring problems in the past. Moving forward, though, they should consider some uh, uh, additional protections, including some whistleblower protections to ensure that these unclassified employees have some opportunities to uh, speak up without fear of repercussion in the event that they see uh, wrongdoing at the state level. Neva. And I agree with Ryan. I mean, these are these are great first moves. And I think uh, I think the public will they'll receive widespread support, uh, certainly uh, at the with the public at large. And I think even inside the Capitol, I think these folks uh, recognize that these are uh, that these are uh, matters that make sense. I mean, and with respect to the idea of uh, uh, amending the merit protection system, trying to modernize that. I mean, it has bipartisan support. I mean, Senator K. Floyd uh, has already uh, filed a bill that would uh, overhaul that system. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think it's timely. I think um, it, the issue with the plane, I mean, we all know that that's come, in, that's come up uh, from time to time in, in years past. Uh, certainly, I think the governor understands. I mean, here's someone from the business uh, world who, who, who makes the valid point that uh, any plane, if you're not going to use it 400 hours a, a year, it doesn't make sense. And uh, the, the governor does have uh, at his disposal the uh, opportunity to use uh, private uh, private uh, uh, planes mm-hmm. uh, to go where he needs to go. There'll still be other planes and helicopters in the fleet. In the fleet that the Highway Patrol uh, manages and, and uh, has control over. So, you know, I think those are I think those are good moves. We've seen this whole kind of overhaul of his notion of what he wants in a cabinet and the people that he wants to reflect his views and his agenda. And I think uh, we're seeing that really uh, continue to roll out as we come right on the uh, the eve of the uh, beginning of session and state of the state. The only thing interesting about the uh, this, this having the uh, dealing with the state agencies lobbying is mm-hmm. when you deal with things like education and you deal with things like DHS. Usually the 
they, the people can't necessarily go to all the lawmakers, but if you've got a lobbyist, that's kind of his job is to go advocate for these agencies. I, I think the agency, I think it's not the question of the agencies being able to advocate to, to lawmakers and make their voices heard inside the Capitol. I think it's a case of these third party hiring lobbyists to, you know, this additional layer with taxpayer dollars. And frankly, let's, you know, let's look at who some of these folks have been. They've been former legislators turned lobbyists who now are, you know, taking, you know, have been taking that type of role uh, as lobbying for these agencies. And I think, uh, you know, I think the governor has made a real strong point that this is something uh, that this is something that just doesn't make sense when we talk about it being funded by taxpayer money. And if you look at some of these lobbyists, these private lobbyists, not the legislative liaisons that work for the agencies, if you prorate out the amount of time that they're actually, because they have other clients, they're making well in excess of what a state employee would make. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if we're going to have this, it should be a state employee that's accountable to the people. Interestingly enough, the, the airplanes, the thing that seems to be getting all of these orders that seems to be the one getting the most attention. Governor Walters sold the airplane off uh, a while back. Governor Keating bought one back. Uh, former Speaker Steve Lewis said that this is kind of low-hanging fruit and that the, the Governor Stitt may come to regret it. <laughs> but the the other thing is that Governor Stitt is saying that he wants, uh, what he wants is to, to have flights donated. Uh, what I would suggest is that if the state don't get into the business of that, you know, the state shouldn't be a recipient. He shouldn't be a potential political recipient of those contributions. They should, uh, if they need there, to do it, they need to lease but it. But there's always been it. a business roundtable, and those those funds have always been available, so the governor can uh, use those types of private dollars uh, to be able to go internationally, to to go east coast, west coast, recruiting, uh, you know, commerce and industry. So there is a, there is a role to be played there, and I don't think there's anything that is uh, you know underhanded or you know questionable that uh, that comes with that. I think it, it I think it's just that that partnership of uh, the private and the public sector that can be a healthy one, particularly when there's real transparency, which I think the governor, given his what he's laid out already, will be at the forefront of what he will expect and, and require of anyone dealing with with his administration. Yeah. Governor Stitt is kicking off the first session of the 57th legislature this Monday with his first state of the state address. I'm curious as to what you think might be in the speech. Neva, let's start with you. Well, I think, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, the uh, budget secretary, Mike Mazie, kind of telegraphed a little bit of the the punch, uh, saying that uh, that there would be new elements in the governor's executive budget that would uh, uh, really have more long-term uh, strategizing overall the overall financial condition of the state. We've seen uh, you, you know midweek here and and toward the end of the week we're seeing the governor begin to roll out. Uh, he did uh, in uh, comments that he made uh, with uh, uh, reporters uh, earlier this week, uh, kind of the annual. Uh, sit down with them that he is uh, focusing on uh, additional money, I think $12 million uh, for additional funding for prison diversion programs and also to hire some additional people at pardon and parole to expedite the process. He said there's a backlog there, he's been told, and let's figure out what it takes in additional personnel to get that long log jam broken and get those folks, uh, you know, get that information on his desk. So I think very proactive in, in that regard. And clearly criminal justice reform, as we've talked for the last several weeks, it, many of these things that he's rolling out, even in terms of additional budget uh, dollars that he is asking to be appropriated in specific areas are directly related to criminal justice. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, I think we'll, it will be interesting to see kind of the overall themes beyond uh, just the, some of the specifics. But I think we will, I will be very surprised on Monday afternoon if we don't have uh, a state of the state that does have quite a few specifics with regard to what he wants to see happen in his first year, first Ryan. legislative session. Yeah. 
<clears throat> and I think Neva's right. Criminal justice reform is, is going to be in there. It's going to continue the theme of uh, Republican governors now talking about criminal justice reform, truly a bipartisan issue. The There was a conference about a week ago that the Department of Corrections held here in Oklahoma City, had uh, stakeholders in the criminal justice system up and down the board. Um, the Department of Corrections right now, for the first time in recent memory, their budget request doesn't have a budget request for new prisons. Their budget request is a budget request for increased, uh, you know, basically taking care of corrections officers and, and personnel and staffing up and a call to the legislature to get thousands, if not tens of thousands of people out of prisons over the next several years. So um, one of the things that I'm going to be listening for in Governor Stitt's state of the state with regard to criminal justice reform is how much of what he's going to say in that state of the state will mirror what we're hearing out of uh, the director of Department of Corrections, Joe Alba, and his team coming out of that conference. You know, are they are they really in unison? And then we're also, I think, going to see, and we're already seeing the landscape for for if there's going to be a a political conflict or a new political conflict this legislative session it's going to be over the increased authority of the executive branch uh, and we're seeing democrats right now in the legislature already raising some concerns about politicizing these cabinet positions and these state agencies by making them uh, hired and fired by the governor directly rather than running them by boards and commissions so that's that's this political fight that i think is on the landscape this session that Oklahomans probably haven't heard before. And I think what will be interesting is, will it be a prolonged fight or will it be a short fight and the Republicans stay together? I mean, one of the things that I think we're hearing is out of Republican leadership in the House and the Senate, as well as the governor, is that there is real collaboration, that there's a real rapport developing and a real serious, as you look at the agendas that each each of them are rolling out, uh, they are, they're in sync. I mean, they're in unison and what they really see is the four or five major major uh, things that they would like to see accomplished in this legislative session. So if that stays intact with the governor making it probably first and foremost, the idea of being able to um, be able to hire and fire uh, some agency heads of these major agencies, I think Republicans clearly, if they if they stay together, uh, the votes are there. The governor said what he wants. So I think this will be the first big test. And I think they'll tee it up and have that test fairly quickly. Not to say Democrats, I mean, uh, uh, Representative Virgin, uh, the um, minority uh, Democrat House leader you said that their caucus certainly opposes. Mm-hmm. Now that the uh, Senate, uh, the Senate Democrats uh, have yet to uh, take an official position, right. uh, so there may be a little more give and take on that side. But long and the short is the votes are there if the will is there, and I think the public would applaud this as a great, uh, a great move on the part of uh, revamping and remodernizing and organizing state government in a way that it should be. Right, and of course Democrats don't have a, mm-hmm. a chance to, to stop this if the Republicans gain, work together to get this through. What kind of argument could the Democrats make to make this uh, not a good thing? Well, I mean, Oklahoma's, uh, Oklahoma's entire constitution was created at a time in American history where there was deep distrust of concentration of power in a single executive authority figure. So, you know, the idea of a governor or a president or a, may- I mean, or a mayor, I mean, there was a, it was during the progressive era, we began to see the development of things like boards and commissions that were acting governing bodies. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, in another article, speaker, former Speaker Steve Lewis that he wrote was talking about how strong governors with strong personalities nevertheless were able to advance their agendas among these governing boards. Uh, but there was some political distance between the decision-making process and the governor. But, and so, I mean, I think that, that if Democrats are going to make an argument here, it's that these boards and commissions uh, act in a way to insulate decision-making from the political process. Now, at the end of the day, I don't know that 
that there's really a lot of empirical evidence. Um, I'm going to be looking for it, but I don't know that there's a lot of empirical evidence that that they have been insulated or that it has led to more or less accountability. Right. And so this, you know, this is a new experiment for the state of Oklahoma and one that would uh, reverse a trend uh, in our state's history that goes all the way back to statehood. And, and, I, think, and, and I think the experiment makes sense because, let's face it, I mean, if this is something that uh, that is put in place, then the, the real uh, burden is on the governor uh, to make good with those appointments, to make sure that the people that are put in are not political hacks, they're not political you know, players that just are given a position, but these are folks that can come in and really be change agents in those agencies for the good of the state and for the good of the, the people. And and so I think that uh, just like with the president, uh, when they form and and appoint the and name the people that are going to be in their cabinet, I mean it puts it it puts the focus on uh, and the attention where it should be, as opposed to these unelected board 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 and commission members, oftentimes which uh, history has shown are rubber stamps. I mean we've seen this with many of the the agencies that have been under you know under fire or under scrutiny for bad practice uh, that you have you have these board and commission members that clearly uh, on their watch didn't know what was happening. So I think uh, to put uh, to kind of put this change in place would be refreshing. And I and I obviously hope that it happens soon. And Democrats have a tough hill to climb here because they're trying to get this the people of Oklahoma behind them and preserving a status quo that I don't think that a lot of Oklahomans appreciate even exist. I mean, I think that most Oklahomans would probably assume that the governor has the ability to hire and fire these individuals already. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that there are these boards and commissions that are critical to governance in the state of Oklahoma and, and what benefit they could play, that's that's kind of a mystery to a lot of Oklahomans. So and I, and Democrats I think, have a hard and I think road. You've, you've got a governor who already has demonstrated uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks uh, going into these agencies shaking hands, talking to people, getting down below just the one or two, you know, top levels uh, in in these agencies and really trying to get some input, uh, get some reaction, get some feedback. And I think I think that's welcomed in these agencies. I think when when people in all levels of these major large agencies see that they can have some impact in in having a kind of a voice in this discussion that's where we can see some real changes made because they know where many of the problems already rest right and i know we'll be talking about this a lot more as the session goes on oh the state's cyber security chief is going to be working double duty as head of the Oklahoma Department of Emergency Management. Governor Stitt picked Mark Gower to lead Oklahoma Cyber Command and the OEM. This follows last week's choice for Secretary of State Michael Rogers to also work as his Secretary of Education. Ryan, what do you think of these choices? Well, I think Mark Gower has the coolest title in the state of Oklahoma, <laughs> Director of Oklahoma Cyber Command. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, cool, but in, incredibly important, increasingly important yeah. in, in an age when uh, not only are we dealing with... Uh, you know, the the collection of data, but also uh, data security, cybersecurity, and you know the how all of those things work together. This is a a critical point in both the functioning of the state and state security. And uh, you know you need to find somebody that is familiar with all of that, which uh, Mark certainly is. He's been there. He's got all of the certifications that uh, I think you could hope to have for somebody in a position like that. Um, it's it's a difficult job, and there's there's a lot to oversee, and it's uh, it is interesting. You know, the the governor has been dividing uh, some responsibilities up, where he's looked and said, you know, this individual uh, with you know has been tasked with something that is has a mission that is beyond the scope of any single individual or single office, uh, and so he's been dividing those things up. So 
you know, having one individual here, Mark Gower, in charge of such a critical thing, I think at some point there may be a, an assessment of maybe we need to be dividing these things up and we have more than one person in charge of all of this. These would be two very stressful things to deal with, cybersecurity and your natural emergency management. Oh, absolutely. But I think, uh, I mean, given his background, as you say, I mean, cybersecurity, uh, business continuity, disaster preparedness and response, uh, um, disaster recovery. I mean, he really has a resume that really lends so perfectly to, to this dual role. And I think, uh, uh, I I think again, this speaks to the governor making making these uh, making these selections and being very deliberative in the type of individuals that he wants with the backgrounds that match and mirror uh, what not only the role uh, requires but also his vision of what he wants to see government uh, being retooled and remade. And in a in a governor who has put a lot of emphasis on transparency, I think that Oklahomans right now you, that there should be some uh, some transparency with Cyber Command. I mean, I think uh, again a state agency that most Oklahomans probably don't know exist or, or a function in state government that, that they're not entirely sure what, what data they have, what are their protocols, how does it, you know, that's, those are things that uh, the people of Oklahoma and in particular legislators should have a better understanding of and there needs some be, uh, to and, be some transparency And I think when there. we look at these folks that have been rolled out, the, the individuals that have been named, I mean, we're not hearing a lot of backlash, you know, a lot of carping, a lot of negative. I mean, we're hearing folks talk about resume, qualifications, uh, the very things that you want to see and hear when you have people placed with this level of uh, uh, this level of uh, trust being placed on them not only by the governor but uh, to ensure that uh, they take care of uh, business for the state of Oklahoma boy and you need trust because what we're talking about is a central repository for all of the data and information technology in the state of Oklahoma. And so in in this one place, you have a, a massive amount of information, which also represents a massive liability to the state as well. So there needs to be some trust and transparency. I, I think that this is, you know, I, uh, you know, I don't have any problem with this appointment at all. I'm just saying that it's, it's a difficult job. And, you <laughs> and know, I think every some state and the be... federal government are all being, you know, uh, really faced with this, even down to the municipal and county level. Sure. I oh, mean, yeah. all this is something that is so, uh, uh, such a profound change I mean in the uh, in the landscape of what we're having to deal with as a society so it is a very critical role and I applaud the governor on on the selection the Senate Republicans get ready for the upcoming legislative session with a press conference to lay out their agenda they are pushing for greater accountability and transparency again letting the governor to pick uh, governor pick agency leaders improve criminal justice reform honor commitments to invest more in education and restore five-day school weeks neva what do you think of these agenda items i think th- i think that the, that they're well thought out i think again it has been with conversation with a lot of uh, stakeholders uh, you know in these conversations over the past several months and i think uh, I, I think one thing with a legislative agenda when you roll it out if you don't if you don't find yourself overly ambitious, but you you tackle things that can be accomplished, and I think they have they've zeroed in on a four point agenda that clearly um, not only match the governor's goals, uh, but certainly match uh, what uh, uh, Senator Treat says is the majority of his caucus. Uh, and I think uh, as we uh, as we listen to what Speaker McCall has said about uh, uh, the ongoing conversations w- within the House and certainly within the House Republican caucus, I mean it sets up well 
well for many of these things to be achieved early in the session if they really move forward quickly. Ryan. There's a lot of consistency between what we're seeing out of the Senate Republicans, House Republicans, and the governor's office. Like Neva said, I think that that's striking. Uh, we haven't we haven't seen that, uh, that kind of consistency in, in a while. Uh, we'll see if it lasts. Uh, I think that it's, it's of note that criminal justice reform made its way into one of the four key priority areas for uh, the Senate Republican uh, caucus. You know, uh, Senator Thompson is a, you know, champ- you know, a lot of champions right now for criminal justice reform on both sides of the aisle. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing that now play out at the caucus level. It's not just, you know, one lone Republican member over in the Senator, one lone Republican member over in the House joining with Democrats and pushing for progressive or aggressive uh, criminal justice reform. It's it's a caucus matter now, and that's that's uh, I think a big deal. It is it is uh, interesting to me, and you know, just going back to the the idea of the legislature uh, empowering the governor uh, to have more power over state agencies. Um, you know, it it does it does seem strange because even though uh, they're all it's it, we basically we have a one party state in the state of Oklahoma, you still have these coequal branches of government, and generally uh, legislative branches are. Uh, reluctant to empower the executive because there, there's a sense that it could create an imbalance uh, to the peril of the legislative branch. And we don't really seem to be having that conversation just yet, but the legislature for the last eight years has enjoyed, uh, under under the Fallon administration, enjoyed a position of priority. Um, you know, they really led and drove the train, not the governor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we've got a, a very a uh, strong-willed governor who's out front, who's taking, you're using the, the bully pulpit of the governor's office from day one in a way that Governor Fallon just didn't. Um, and then they want to give them some more statutory authority, give Governor Stitt some more statutory authority on top of that. They may come to regret that at some point. And also i got to ask about these five-day school weeks, which I thought was the biggest one on this. Was uh, This was a Republican-led plan to give to go by hours instead of days uh, to give more flexibility to schools. And now the idea is to take it away. And they didn't go to five-day school weeks because they liked three-day weekends. They went to five-day school weeks because four-day school weeks because they didn't have the money. Well, I, th- I think what when they're talking about restoring five-day school weeks and also having these reasonable exemptions that they talked about is uh, is really reflective again of a bigger question, and that is uh, the w- what they have found, particularly if they've gone outside the state uh, to recruit business and industry, uh, and a lot of the uh, a-, a lot of the uh, stories that have uh, been in major news outlets ac- across the country. I mean, when you start talking about the four-day school week as opposed to five and all of the other associated problems that, that we all know uh, are there and have been talked about for so long with education, I mean, it's a negative. And I think, uh, you know, and there's certainly even, I think, within the Department of Education, it'll be interesting to see what uh, 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 Joy Hoffmeister and others, uh, as they come forward, I mean, one of the things the governor said is that he wants to make sure that the, that uh, she as an elected official has better, you know, access and, and uh, uh, better conversation, you know, with not only the executive branch, but certainly as she continues to interact with the uh, with the legislators. So, you know, I, I see this as, as a plus. Now, will there be pushback and will there be problems, uh, you know, with this one? Perhaps, but I think if there are logical exemptions, if there's a way to deal with some of these, you know, uh, issues that are that are uh, that are isolated and not kind of broad and systemic, then there will be a way to get both both accomplished. 
And uh, very quickly, I want to get to this. The House uh, is also getting ready for the legislative session by releasing a video called We Are One Oklahoma. <laughs> and we have a clip. This is your house. We are Republicans. We are Democrats. We are one Oklahoma. We are one Oklahoma. We are one Oklahoma. I'm House Speaker Charles McCall, and this is your house. And the video, as you hear, includes <laughs> Republicans and Democrats declaring the chamber belongs to everyone. Ryan, your thoughts on this kumbaya uh, video? I, I think somebody's seen one too many uh, pre-college football game hype videos. Yeah, I watched it this morning, uh, you know, preparing for the show. And, uh, and when I watched it on YouTube, it had a, it had a whopping 700 views. Yes. Almost almost right up there with uh, with the with ninja videos about the, Fortnite that I've been watching, you know, trying to figure out how to build a better fortress uh, you know, so that I can finally win it. A, a match on on Fortnite, almost as many views as those. Yeah, now well, I, it's, yeah, it's it, it's cheesy. You know, I think that they've got a branding problem. They're trying to introduce themselves to the to the people of Oklahoma. Um, will it work? Probably not. But it's you know, I'm I'm glad that they got to do kind of like this little class exercise together. <laughs> and I and I do think that uh, even though it certainly may not be widely viewed, I mean at least uh, at least here on the front end, I do think it it speaks to the tone and the civility that I hope uh, is is a is is not just a snapshot in time, but yeah. will be something that we'll see over the long session. And I think when they talk about that, it's the people's house and it's the farmers and ranchers' house and it's the doctor's and nurse's house, it's the veteran's house, it's the teacher's house, it's the student's house, um, the job creator's house. I mean, they, they covered the waterfront on, but the bottom line is it is the people's house. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, I think to kind of uh, infuse that into the public uh, uh, discussion is not a bad thing. Yes, it's cheesy. Yes, it's, uh, you know, but but the fact that it was bipartisan, the fact that leadership came together and was willing to see value, to see value in it, you know, speaks volumes uh, for the house so i applaud them for the effort and frankly uh, if they can get uh, if they can find a way to get a wider uh, distribution uh, you know out of that uh, th- i think um, it would be uh, uh, well received by Oklahomans if in fact they do see it. And again, well, hoping the bipartisanship lasts more than just one week. Absolutely. And, and, you know, just as an exercise, I, you know, I think Neva's right. The, the exercise behind this is, is really the most important part. You know, the 700 views, you know, Oklahomans aren't going to, you know, look on YouTube and, and watch this and then all of a sudden feel better about their legislature. But the exercise behind it that allows Democrats and Republicans to have this project that they're working on that's apolitical, that doesn't have necessarily anything to do with the immediate issues in front of them, it's good that they're doing it right now, man. I hope they do something like this every month. And, and, and as deadlines come up, let's let's have them. You know, what's the deal well, where they and, go out and, and they drink and wine the, and they and paint or something like that? Let's <laughs> send them out and go. Let them well, go do these things. Baseball. And, and the yeah. vehicle. I mean, in terms of from a social media standpoint, all of these lawmakers, almost without exception, uh, use social media in some in some form or fashion. So the fact that they can get this message out to their own constituents uh, through uh, whatever wh- whatever social media that they choose to to platform use, uh, I think is, uh, I think is, is a very positive, uh, approach. And I think, I think we'll see them grappling with trying to find more creative ways, uh, as we see, uh, the public kind of using that as their uh, vehicle of choice to find out about, uh, about political information and most information, as opposed to what we've seen the traditional forms in the past. Let's, let's live stream trivia night or something with, with legislative <laughs> leaders or sure. something. Yeah. Yeah. But we can't do it from the floor of the house anymore. We can't live stream well, from the floor of the house anymore. There's yeah. already cameras up there. You 
you can so. step outside. <laughs> and Ryan a few and feet will not bother you. <laughs> Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management.